listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. If you were here on Good Friday, you might recall my picking up on an insight of the novelist Reynolds Price who characterizes the imaginative retelling of biblical stories as being what he called a serious way of wondering. While certainly not claiming for them the status of scriptures, such stories do have the potential to offer fresh insight and to help us contend with these biblical accounts in new ways. So in this evening's sermon, I will adopt the voice of David as he tries to come to grips with all that he's done. I begin my wondering with words based in the confessional voice of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. In your steadfast love, wipe it away. Clean the stain from my soul. Wash it away. I know what I've done. It haunts me now. It hangs before my eyes all of the time. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Truthfully, though, it's not only you. My sin has done so much damage, hurt so many people. Evil in the sight of the Lord, I see it now. But didn't I know, even when I was in the midst of it, didn't I know that? I lied to myself. I justified all that I did because I am David. I am king. And kings can do what they wish. Or so I made myself believe. So much damage. So much hurt. It was late in the afternoon. The sun was beginning to move toward the western horizon. The heat of the day was passing. And up on the roof, there was enough of a breeze to make it all quite pleasant. I stood and I surveyed the city I'd established, the city of David, my city. Soldiers at the gate keeping watch. Vendors in the street selling their produce. Children laughing and playing. Old men sitting and talking. What do they talk about all those hours? Women bustling home to prepare the meal. The smell of roasting meat. While Joab and my army were out doing battle with the Ammonites, that afternoon Jerusalem felt... Peaceful. It was then that I saw her. She was on the roof of her house, bathing, no doubt assuming it was a discreet and private place. Surely she had bathed on that roof countless times before, without anyone ever even noticing. But that afternoon I was there to notice to see, to want. 
She was lovely, and I, I was bored. I sent one of my servants to find out who this woman was, and word came back. She is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, the wife of Uriah. But it didn't matter. By the time the servant returned to me with that word, I'd already decided I wanted so I would have. Like a Philistine king, I had her fetched to me simply because I could. Her head bowed. She tried to protest. She was married, she said. It was her body's time of purification, she pleaded. Please. Inflamed with desire, I couldn't begin to care. I want you. I will have you. What could she say to the great King David? No. Impossible. The great King David, shepherd of Israel, more like a ram in rut, dumbly mounting any grazing ewe that strayed close. I robbed her of her voice. I declared the integrity and wisdom of the cycles of her woman's body meaningless. I deem myself, myself, the arbiter of right and wrong, of good and evil. I did what I wanted because I could, or so I thought. Having had what I desired, I dismissed her. I called for another servant to bring me a bowl of sweet figs and wine to drink. Back up on the roof, I sipped the wine, savoring the richness of its flavor in my mouth, all alone, satisfied, content. I looked down on the empty roof of Bathsheba's house and watched the moonlight shimmer on the surface of the water of her abandoned bathing basin. My sin against Bathsheba only deepened. When she sent word to me that she was pregnant, I began the plot to cover it up, summoning Uriah from the battlefield for counsel. Twice I sent him home. Twice I tried to make it possible for him to sleep with her, Twice my plotting failed, so I arranged for his death on the battlefield. I sent a letter to Joab, had it delivered by Uriah's own hand. God save me, delivered by the man himself, instructing that Uriah be placed in the forefront of the hardest fighting. Draw back from him then, I wrote, so that he may be struck down and die. Joab didn't question my orders. He just did it. With that fierce and unquestioning loyalty of a military officer, he was drawn into collusion with my lies and my sin. My words to Joab once the deed was done, once Uriah had fallen in battle, do not let this matter trouble you. He should have been troubled. He and so many others who saw what I had done, soldiers and servants alike, they all should have been troubled. Yet they just did what they were told. 
and then quietly whispered to one another of their king's sexual misadventures. But I didn't care. With Uriah dead, all I needed to do was wait out Bathsheba's prescribed time of mourning, and then I could take her into my own house as my wife, and no one would know any different. Why is the king in such a hurry to marry a young widow? Why in such a rush to take her into his household? Perhaps they'll believe it's an act of mercy, even a gesture of respect to the fallen Uriah. Perhaps you might even believe that if you'd neither looked on her beauty nor paid any attention to the gossip. Then came that damnable truth-teller, Nathan. His little story about a rich man with his flocks and herds and the poor man with his one lamb, he set me up. The rich man had more than enough, yet still he took what the poor man had As the Lord lives, I raged. As the Lord lives, the man who's done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no pity. And without so much as a trace of emotion on his face, Nathan looked at me and said, You are that man. You are that man. Cornered by his parable, Everything I'd done, every lie I told was laid open. The prophet isn't the damnable one in this story. I am. My already conflicted household will be forever troubled by the sword, he told me, forever wounded by division. And everyone will see it, David. No secrets, no hidden sins anymore. Caught, indicted, I fell to my knees in confession. I have sinned against the Lord, I said. I have. I truly have. And he answered, Now the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Get up on your feet, David. You're forgiven. And then he spoke those terrible, terrible words. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child that is born to you shall die. Bathsheba, with her belly swelling more and more each day, what could I possibly say to her? I didn't say a word. I couldn't bear to say a word. I couldn't even tell her that Nathan had cornered me with a parable in which she had featured as a lamb belonging to another man. I've begun to see that she is no man's property, this Bathsheba. Maybe over these days I've even begun to learn to truly love her. I don't know. When the baby was born, at first he seemed well, Yet within hours I could see he was falling ill. I fasted, pleaded, prayed that it might be different, that he not have to die. For seven long nights I lay on the ground desperately hoping God would spare that little boy's life. I don't know that I'll ever be able to fully understand, fully accept even why that child had to die. 
How could that possibly be right or just, O Lord? How? Of all of us in this sad story, the baby was the one true innocent. Holding him to her breast, Bathsheba wept quietly as he gasped for each breath, refusing her sad encouragements to nurse. Seven long days, seven long nights, my two innocents, a newborn baby and his mother, his mother whose only fault had been to be noticed and wanted and taken by me. Now I can only pray that the Lord will not forget her baby forever. My sin is ever before me. May the prophet have spoken truly when he said that you'd put away this sin, O Lord. Hide your face from what I've done. Tear out what remains of my stony heart and create in me a clean one, O Lord. Give me a clean heart. Put a new and right spirit within me. Save me from myself. And save your people from me and my sin, O Lord. Save your people. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.